All right, I hope you appreciated that time of worship that we just had and hope you participated in it as well. I really appreciate our worship team and what they've done uh, the past several weeks and just getting things together and done a phenomenal job. Appreciate that. I appreciate all the work that people have done behind the scenes, making sure everything is going the way it needs to go. Uh, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. I really am excited about uh, this journey we're going to take over the next eight days. Again, we've been praying and trying to figure out what to do for the past several weeks, knowing that Easter is probably going to be online and we're going to have to meet digitally and virtually. Uh, so I'm really excited about this opportunity to kind of take this, this week-long journey and look at this vantage point, this Easter perspective, and, and kind of see what, what God wants us to see and, and uh, really just try to focus on the Easter story more than just on, on one day. And uh, really excited about it and hope you'll tune in uh, for the different services. Uh, we'll post um, all of the service schedule again later on so that you can uh, participate and are ready to watch with us and be engaged with us as well. Uh, but Matthew chapter 1, or not 1, Matthew chapter 21 is where we'll be this morning. You know, you think about it, there are a lot of things that can happen in a week, right? There's a lot of things that can happen in a week. Uh, we even think about the past month or so of all the things that have gone on in our society, in our country, in our state, in the world. Uh, it seems like it's ever-changing. Um, man, uh, I think the, the, the possibilities are limitless of, of what can happen, what can take place in a week, good and bad. And you think of some of the, the craziest weeks, the wildest weeks um, in all of history. And really, um, let, me, let me list off some of the events that took place on one of the most historical weeks ever in the history of the universe. First of all, day number one, light came into existence. Some of you might understand where I'm going with this right off the bat. Day number two, the sky was created. Day number three, dry land, seas, plants, trees were created. Day number four, the sun, the moon, the stars were created. Day five, uh, the, all the, the creatures that lived in the sea and the creatures that flew above the waters were created. Day six, land animals, people were created. Day number seven, the creator of it all rested. Now, when you think about that week, that is a truly impactful, meaningful week, is it not? Such an amazing week that took place when the creation of the universe took place thousands of years ago from the creator God that created all of it out of nothing, that he spoke the world into existence. But the universe became shackled to the bondage of sin and groaned in anticipation for liberation. And it must have rejoiced in the events that took place just over 2,000 years ago. And that final week of Jesus' life and ministry on this earth. Again, it's amazing what took place in just seven or eight days. And again, I've kind of talked about this briefly in, in other videos, but I want you to understand the significance of this holy week. The final week that Jesus spent on earth is captured in 28 chapters in the four Gospels. And what I'm talking about is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, out of those four Gospels, there's 89 chapters total. And 28 out of the 89 chapters are all about the final week of Jesus' life and ministry on this earth. 
Nearly a third of the teachings of the recording, uh, recorded teachings that we have in the Gospels are dedicated to the final week. The other two-thirds are about the other 42 weeks of ministry, which are very important. But don't you think it's extremely important that final week if much of the Gospels are spent talking about it? Yes, it is. And again, that's what this series is about, this eight-day series to try to help us understand the true significance of what took place and help us understand and gain proper perspective, a proper vantage point for what Jesus did, for what he went through, how he suffered, how he died, an agonizing death on the cross for you and for me. And really, I've mentioned before in other messages and other Easter messages, what he went through, what he suffered, um, very torturous, very painful, very humiliating. And And honestly, it was very graphic, some of the things that he went through. But he did it for you and for me. And we need to be thankful. We need to be appreciative of that. And we need to to realize that that Jesus Christ went through the pain, the suffering. Um, He took the keys of hell and death. And he conquered them when he rose victoriously from the grave. You know, we've all heard the phrase, the beginning of the end. And it feels like with COVID-19, we're in the beginning of the end, right? But this final week of Jesus' life, and really what is given to us in Matthew chapter 21, is the beginning of the end. And if you have your Bibles, and hopefully you're already turned there and ready to go with me, I want you to follow along. I'm going to read the first couple verses this morning. And this message is a little bit different. I'm not going to say I'm going to preach shorter, because every time I say I'm going to preach shorter, I preach a lot longer. It's just different in nature And I'm technically not finishing this message this morning. Now, we will wrap it up this morning, but this message is actually going to continue because it all is about the events that unfold in those last seven or eight days. And we're going to finish this passage in the next day or two as we continue this journey and look at this Easter perspective But in Matthew chapter 21, go ahead and follow along with me if you could in your Bibles. The Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, let me actually grab my Bible so I can actually see it. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass. And what he's talking about is a donkey. You'll find a donkey and that is tied up in, in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Sion, or Zion, Behold, the, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon a donkey and a colt and a foal, Um, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And in verse number 7, they brought that donkey and and the colt that was with them, and and they put them on their clothes, and they set him thereon, verse number 8, in a very great multitude. Imagine the scene. 
A great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. Again, those, those palm leaves, those palm branches, as they were setting them down, uh, as this, in a sense, this royal figure was coming into the scene, kind of laying the red carpet down for Jesus. They strawed the way in verse number eight. Verse number nine, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried and said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And again, oh, I can imagine the scene that is taking place unfolding as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, this holy city, for the first time in his earthly ministry. And Jerusalem was the holy city, was the capital city of the Jewish nation, of, of the nation of Israel. And he's entering in, and the crowds are gathered around him and laying the red carpet down with these palm leaves and laying their clo clothes down and, and shouting, Hosanna, which means save now or salvation they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that Jesus was coming to save them of the, the rule and the reign and the tyranny of the Roman Empire and the Roman government. And again, I, I can just imagine the, 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 the excitement, the celebration, as they believe that their Messiah is coming. Now what they didn't know is what would happen in just a few short days when their Messiah was taken to the cross and died, and I'm sure there was all kinds of uncertainty. I'm sure there was all sorts of confusion. They had no clue what was going on in the days to follow as Jesus hung on that cross and as Jesus died, and as Jesus was put in the ground and put in the grave, and the stone was rolled over the tomb. I can't even imagine what his disciples, what his followers felt. But we'll get to that in the days to come. But this message is focused on this Palm Sunday. And as Jesus is riding into town, it's a great tribute to them as worshiping him as their king. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We understand that from the scriptures. Again, they believe that he was coming to take over, to take over right then and right now, to take over and save them of the tyranny, of the persecution that they were under. Little did they know of what was to happen. But again, as they gathered around and shouted, Hosanna, and that's what this message is on this morning, Hosanna to the king as they shouted, Hosanna, or save now, or salvation is come, as they shouted. They believed Jesus was coming to be their king, usher in a new kingdom. But Jesus wasn't coming to just be the king now. He was coming to establish his authority as the king of kings. There's a couple things that I want us to focus on this morning, and really the main part of this message is this. You fill it out in your notes. The attributes of the king. You see, what we see in Matthew chapter 21 and in many of these verses here, and really when you study this story out across the other three gospels, because they're all uh, reflective of each other and they all tie in together with one another, just from a different perspective, but when you study it out 
and you study scriptures, you see the attributes of a king that are mentioned. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. Hosanna to the king. Jesus Christ is the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And in this account, as well as the other three gospels, we see three, or we see several royal attributes that are fitting to a king. Excuse me. The first thing I want us to look at or notice this morning is this. He is the divine king. He is the divine king. You see, Jesus gives his disciples an assignment. Go find a colt. Go find her mom. Go find this donkey. We can reference this passage to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And for sake of time, I'm not going to read that this morning, but go ahead and, and jot that down in your notes and, and reference that. You can even read it right now if you want to, but Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 is another passage talking about this, of what they were supposed to do and where they were supposed to find this donkey. And, it, and in that passage, it's interesting because... There is a phrase that is mentioned. It says, the Lord hath need of them. The Lord hath need of them. You see, this was a claim to be the Lord of all, not just the Lord of some. When Jesus is saying the Lord hath need of them, he's not just saying that uh, a certain man has need of them. No, no, no. The divine king has need of him. There's a purpose for that. And one of the attributes that is displayed of the king is that Jesus Christ is the divine king. The second thing we see is that not only is he the divine king, but he is the prophesied and prophetic king. He is the prophesied and prophetic king. Verse number four, and this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, so he's going back to the Old Testament, the prophets of Isaiah and Zechariah, all the, the events that were prophesied in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Zechariah, and others prophesied of the coming Messiah, of Jesus Christ, and the Jews were waiting on that day when the coming Messiah would come and take over and rule and reign, and, and they expected Jesus to be that, or many of them believe that Jesus was that prophesied king and that he was going to establish his kingdom now. And, and he was in a sense, but he was also establishing it uh, for many future generations. And he wasn't coming to take over then. He was coming to die, and they didn't understand that at the time. But all of the events that transpired, it's amazing. Go back and read in Isaiah and Zechariah, and we'll reference it in just a minute. But it's prophesied. So he's not just some man. He is a divine king. But he is also the prophesied and prophetic king. Look, why did Jesus plan this demonstration? The simplest explanation is that he was fulfilling ancient prophecy. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, the Bible says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. And having salvation lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt and the foal of a donkey. So, Zechariah 9, 9 prophesied what Matthew is writing in Matthew chapter 21 and, and the events that are taking place on this Palm Sunday had been prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years prior. I think it was about 500 years prior when Zechariah was written that when Jesus came, 500 years had passed. 
And the reference in Matthew 21 of the daughters of Zion, or Zion, is a reference to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem is often referred to as Zion because Mount Zion is located there. And Zacharias specified the way he would come. The fulfillment is miraculous. Again, that it was foretold 500 years prior. You can't write a script like that and fulfill it unless you are God. Unless you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And only God could write a script 500 years prior and actually fulfill it in its entirety. Everything about it was fulfilled. Only God could do that. You see, he was the divine king. And again, this is just more of an encouraging, uh, uplifting message this morning on this Palm Sunday to rejoice, to celebrate our king, Jesus Christ, and what he did and what he came to do. But he was, he was the prophesied, he was the prophetic king. The Bible says that he is prophet and priest and king. In John chapter 1, uh, turn there if you would, I'm, I'm going to turn there quickly. John chapter 1, you see, uh, he prophesied this, or it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Matthew 21 also gives us a glimpse of Jesus as the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is a prophet because he is God's word revealed to us in the flesh. And in John chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now let me, let me skip down to verse number uh, 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. That true light is who? Jesus Christ. Then skip down to verse number 14. Oh, John chapter 1 is such an amazing chapter. But again, one of the things that I say, I don't have time to get into that right now. But John chapter 1, verse number 14, the Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse number one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse number 14, and the Word was made flesh. Who was made flesh? Jesus Christ. You see, he is not only the prophesied king, but he is the prophetic king. He is God's Word revealed to us in flesh. Oh, that's so amazing this morning. So we see some of the attributes of Jesus, that he is the prophesied, the prophetic king. He is the divine king. But thirdly, he is the savior king. Back in Matthew chapter number 21, verse number 9. Matthew chapter 21, verse number 9. The Bible says, actually let me go ahead and continue on, verse number uh, 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and uh, they brought back the, the ass, the donkey, and, and the colt, and put them uh, their clothes on it. They laid the palm branches down, verse number 9. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, what? Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he, excuse me, my nose is itching today. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see, he is the Savior King. The crowds and the, the followers that were around him, the supporters before him, uh, there, there were all kinds of people that were with him on this day. It's it said that Jerusalem probably exploded four to five times its normal size and capacity during this week because this was the week of Passover. 
And it's said that easily upwards to 2 million people could have been inhabiting uh, in Jerusalem during this Passover week. And all the people that are gathered around Jesus, we don't know how many people there were, but there were a lot of people that had gathered around because they had seen his miracles. They had witnessed firsthand what he had done, who he was. They had, uh, they had heard his teachings. So many of his followers had come around, and I'm sure as his followers are gathered around, you, you think about it. You, you go and there's a crowd somewhere. What do you do? You stop and you go and see what's going on. I'm, I'm sure that was happening on this Palm Sunday. That as people were, were gathered around in these streets and they were laying palm branches down and their clothes down uh, to, to lay the red carpet for him, I'm sure others were like, what, what's going on? Who is this guy? Should, should we go? Should we, should we follow and, and see what's going on? But the people are excited. They're singing. They're chanting. They're calling out to Jesus about Jesus. You know, just as we have songs that remind us of, of certain seasons of Christmas and Easter, Israel had songs that were sung in preparation of the Passover. And it was customary for them to sing the Hallel. In Psalm chapter 113, verses 118, was that song that it was very customary for them to sing. And in Psalm 118, verse 26, at the end of that passage of Scripture, the Bible says... Um, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So that's what the crowd is singing. They're singing from their past of Jesus. They are singing this closing portion of the Hallel in Psalm chapter 118, verse number 26. And it's recorded here in Matthew chapter 21 for us. Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Again, they are welcoming Jesus in his identity, his true identity. They're welcoming Jesus as their true king, as the Messiah, Savior of God's people into the heart of this holy city. Many are honoring Jesus as king, both those coming into the city and those already there. But with this honor, the crowds have expectations that Jesus will accomplish on their behalf. And they have one main target. And their main target is this, the restoration of their national identity and prominence. Again, they think he is coming to be their savior now. That's what Hosanna means, as I've already referenced. Hosanna says, or signifies, save now. They believe that Jesus is coming to save them now. Now, he is, but in a different way. And the people are coming together to celebrate this Passover week, this feast of remembrance of how God delivered them from the Egyptian bondage and slavery, and they are wanting the same thing to happen to them with the Roman government. That's why they are crying out, Hosanna, save us now. Just like you sit, or just like uh, your Heavenly Father, just like God uh, saved Israel from the Egyptian bondage, Jesus, save us from this tyranny from the Roman government. Not only do we see that he, Jesus, is the Savior King, he's the prophesied King, he's the prophetic King, he's the divine King, but the fourth thing that we see this morning is this. He's the peaceful King. Now, in some ways, this goes against some beliefs of what a king, a king, people, when, think, when they think of a king, they think of a king in, in um, you know, being majestic, um, 
all this virtue and powerful, and, and Jesus was those things, but they don't often associate necessarily peace with that. But this is important, and here it is again, stay with me here. This is important because it may seem very odd and strange that Jesus rode in on a donkey. And here's the point I'm trying to make. Again, we usually don't associate a lowly donkey with kingship. But this was one of the royal animals of the Jewish monarchs. We can reference that to 1 Kings 2, verse 32. It wasn't uncommon that a king would ride on a donkey. The key to all of this was when would a king ride on a donkey? You see, if a king was going to war, the king would ride a majestic steed, this powerful war horse, into battle. But during times of peace, the king would ride around on a donkey because it would signify and picture peace. And the fact that Jesus came riding to town on a donkey shows us, shows the world, shows the believers that day his true mission. This is good. He's not coming in power to rule. That's coming later. He's coming to bring peace. John chapter 14 verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Luke's account adds even more light to what the crowd was saying. Luke chapter 19, verse 38, they say, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As Luke's gospel continues in chapter 19, we see that Jesus weeps. When you read this account in Luke chapter 19, verse number 42, you see that Jesus is weeping. He's crying. If you only knew the peace that this day would bring to you, I'm sure is some of his thoughts. You know, this was a joyous time because they were celebrating the feast of the Passovers, but I'm sure part of the reason why Jesus was weeping was because he knew what was happening. He knew what was coming. He knew the pain, the suffering, the torture that he would face to bring peace to those that believed and those that believe now. You see, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on this holy week, he didn't come wielding his power. He came to reveal his identity. He's the king of kings, yes, but he's also the prince of peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 tells us that. And Jesus is coming humbly, riding on a colt. But the next time he comes, he will be sovereignly reigning on a horse. Not only is he a peaceful king, but another attribute that we see of Jesus here is this. He is the authoritative king. And I wish I had more time to talk about this, and I will actually have more time to mention this tomorrow night. So tomorrow night, we're actually going to continue this thought on his authority because during this week is when Jesus' authority was really put on display. During this week was when Jesus' authority was even questioned. 
and we're going to see some things that, that transpire, that take place. And when you read it, you think it's all together. It's all the same day, but it's actually over the course of several days. And as you continue on in Matthew chapter 21, as well as some of the other Gospels, there are some events that take place, and we see Jesus' authority put on display. I read one commentary that says this, This section of Matthew's Gospel has been referred to as Jesus' final break with Judaism. For he takes the religious leaders of Jerusalem head on, making claims that they considered blasphemous, claims that would lead them to eventually crucify him in just four or five days. And again, I encourage you to be with us again tomorrow night because tomorrow night we're going to continue this story and we're going to continue looking at aspects of his authority. And I'm excited about it, as you can't tell, but I'm excited about looking at the aspects of his authority tomorrow night. So stay tuned and be with us at 6.30. But this morning, briefly, we looked at a couple attributes of this king, and the king was King Jesus on this Palm Sunday as the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, as they were crying out, singing songs, rejoicing because They believed the king was coming to save them. Now, the king was coming to save them, but in a different light. And friends, I'm here to tell you that King Jesus has already come, and he's already done the deed. He has died on the cross, as we'll look at later this week, and he has risen victoriously to save you of your sins. And if you're here today and you're watching online with us, I'm thankful for that. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, The time is now because he is the only one that can save you. There is no cure from sin but Jesus Christ. He is who you need. What you must do is put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ to be your salvation, and he offers that. You must believe with all of your heart. You must ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And when you do that, and when you confess that you're a sinner, confess that Jesus is Lord, he will save you. But for the Christian today, as we wrap up this message this morning, we looked at his attributes as king, and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem didn't necessarily turn out the way that most Jews had hoped for, but it was the exact entry that all of us needed. He came to die so that we could have salvation. But when Jesus left this earth, he didn't leave us empty-handed. His kingdom isn't just a future kingdom, you see. He established his church before he left. And he left us here that are part of his church today. If you're saved and a part of a local assembly, you are a part of his church And he left us here with a very important job. And one of the the important aspects of the job that Jesus left us here, it's something that we've been talking about for the past six weeks now. He entrusted us. He left us here to be his stewards. A steward, remember, is a manager. And it's our job to properly steward, to properly manage what is not ours, but is what has been left to us by someone 
greater than us, someone that is in control by the owner. And the owner is Jesus Christ. He is the king, we are the manager. The manager is not the king. The king is not the manager. The king is overall. We are not overall. We are under the king. We are under his authority. And he has entrusted us with our life, with our talent, with our treasures, all other resources to properly steward, to properly manage the life that he has given us. And one thing that I've briefly hit on, but not really in depth, in our stewardship series, and we'll continue that in a couple weeks, a couple closing messages. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says this, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, anybody know what it is? Faithful. One of the requirements of a steward is faithfulness. And that's what Jesus left us here on this earth, to be his steward. And as a steward, he requires us to be faithful, faithful to him, even amidst times of uncertainty, even in the midst of difficult moments, even in the midst of the chaos, he still requires us to be faithful. And church, I understand that it's very easy to be unfaithful during these times because you don't know what you're supposed to do. And you wonder if, if things are ever going to get better. Whether they do or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, tell us that God isn't in control. God still is in control. But we have to remember that he has left us here to be faithful. If you are a child of God today, if you are one of his children, if you have asked Jesus to save you of your sins, then he has called you to be faithful. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we faithful? Have we been faithful to his calling? Have we been faithful to what he's asked us to do, to the job that he has given us? And sadly, I'd have to raise my hand, and there's many times in my life where I haven't been faithful to him. I've been faithful to what I've wanted to do, but I haven't been faithful to what he has called me to do. And he has called us to be faithful. For stewards, one of the most important things was faithfulness. As 1 Corinthians 4, 1 says, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You see, they had to be efficient managers of the master's resources. A steward never owned property or resources he dealt with. He simply managed it for his master and had to manage it faithfully. I like this quote about faithfulness. It's doing your duty till your duty is done. If we're to be a faithful steward of the king, then we must realize that our faithfulness isn't something to take haphazardly. Whether you're in the building congregating as a church or not is beside the point. We should not take our job as a steward haphazardly and our job to be faithful haphazardly. The king has the authority over us. He has given some treasures and talents and time to us to properly manage for him. So what are we doing? You see, if we're a faithful steward of the kingdom, we have to realize that our faithfulness isn't something to take haphazardly. We must be serious about it. And three things as we close about faithfulness. First of all, faithfulness requires consistency. Church, you have to be consistent. So many people are up one day, down the next, up down, up, down. I understand that's somewhat part of life, but faithfulness requires consistency. 
consistently doing what God has called us to do. And how do we know that? It goes back to what we've been talking about in Ephesians, what Paul has been talking about, God's already revealed will. Where's God's already revealed will? It's in his Bible. It's in, it's in the Word of God. It's in Scriptures. We know what God wants us to do, but here's the thing. We choose not to do it. Faithfulness requires consistency. Look, God doesn't just desire faithfulness. He requires faithfulness. And when Jesus comes back to rapture his church, you know what he's looking for? He's looking for faithfulness. I think of Luke chapter 18, verse 8, where it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? You know, I've wondered that myself as a pastor sometimes. Is there enough faithfulness in our own church to do the things that God has called us to do? Look, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. He very well may come back in the next couple minutes or a couple days or a couple months. This could be the beginning of the end. We don't know. But whether he's coming back in a couple days or a couple decades, doesn't matter. We still have a job to be faithful. And church, if you haven't been faithful, then it's time that you ask your heavenly father, your king, to forgive you. And it's time that you learn to be consistent in your faithfulness. Faithfulness requires consistency. The second thing faithfulness requires is commitment. Are you committed to Jesus as your king? Let me ask this question. What is your level of commitment? For some, your level of commitment is pretty high. For others, it's about the bare necessities, the the bare minimum of what you can do. Imagine those that have been married, are married, want to be married. Imagine if your spouse only showed you the bare minimum of commitment to you. I mean, they, they were committed when they felt like it, but every other time they weren't committed to you. How many would be okay with that? I don't think anyone would be okay with that. In a relationship, we want total commitment, right? We don't want haphazard commitment. We don't want commitment, you know, I, I'll take commitment Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, you can do whatever you want. That's foolishness. Nobody wants that. Are you committed to your king? What level of commitment do you have? Look, we wouldn't settle for less in our marriage, and that's why a lot of marriages end in divorce. So why do we think God, Jesus, will settle for less commitment in our lives? In the realm of faithfulness. I like what Vance Hadner once said while he was preaching. He, he told a story of a man he knew who, who got concerned about his wife because he thought she was unfaithful to him. That man was talking to his wife and reprimanded her and said, now I know you've been unfaithful to me. She said, well, well not really. It's true I've been unfaithful to you 20% of the time, but 80% of the time I've been very faithful. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's sad. I think that's how many of us as Christians act. But God, I've been faithful to you 80% of the time. What more do you want? God isn't asking for 80% commitment. He's asking for 100% commitment. That's part of being a follower, a disciple of him that is truly committed. And that's what we're trying to do at this church. We're trying to grow fully committed, not 
you know, 80% committed. <laughs> We're trying to go fully committed, 100% committed disciples. And that's someone that is sold out to Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, it doesn't matter what's going on because their commitment hasn't wavered and will not waver. Faithfulness requires consistency. It, re- it requires commitment. And finally, our faithfulness requires completion. We have a job to do, church. We must complete the task that Jesus Christ has given us. Now, this morning, we focused on a few of his attributes. We saw that he was the prophesied, the prophetic king, the divine king, the savior king, the peaceful king. We saw so many great qualities of Jesus, and there's so much more that we can talk about. But God has given us a job to do. And as I close out this message, I want to leave you with this final truth. We need to learn to be consistent and committed to our king so that we can complete the task that he's given us to complete. Church, on this Palm Sunday, as we start this series vantage point, this Easter perspective, this journey towards the cross and towards the empty tomb, I want you to realize that we have to be consistent. We have to be committed, and we have a job to complete. And I encourage you, for the next seven or eight days, to eliminate the distractions, focus on your Savior. And this morning, as we celebrate Jesus, we celebrate the King and the attributes of the King, We celebrate who he is, what he came to do. I think of that aspect of the peaceful king. He he came to bring us peace. Peace in the midst of the chaos. We can have peace and we can find peace in Jesus Christ. We can't find it in anything else. You're not going to find it in drugs or alcohol. You're not going to find it in in the world, but you will find peace in Jesus. So church, rejoice in these attributes. And I encourage you and challenge you to be consistent, to be committed, and to complete the task that Jesus Christ has given you.